Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Now, remember, I said, if you'll drill deep, if you'll pull away the layers of topsoil, eventually you're going to hit pay dirt. Something is going to pay off. In this text, and just so you understand, in this text, in in Revelation 18.4, Many people believe that this text, this verse, is a reference to the rapture. Those are people who read the book of Revelation parenthetically rather than linearly. Okay, There's a linear reading where you read it that one thing happens after another. Then there are some people who believe that you read the whole story and then the whole story kind of starts again. And then the whole story kind of starts again and they kind of mesh together. All right, So some people believe that this is actually a reference to the rapture. But that word, whether or not you believe it's the rapture. When God speaks to his people and he says, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, that word to come out, it means to be birthed. It means to come from the loins of. So God is saying here to the church in Revelation chapter 18, be born again out of this world. You need the spirit of God in you. You need the wind of God to breathe through you. You need to be reborn, born from this world so that you don't participate in the sins of the world. Are you tracking with me? Come out of her, my people. Be born again. Come and be born of the spirit. Literally is what is being said here. Now, most people believe this. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, speaks of the rapture. And just so you understand in context, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 is an accounting of the history of the church, the history of the bride of Christ. What the church has done, what the church has experienced, the way the church has exceeded or excelled and the way that the church has failed the Lord. After the entire reading of Revelation 2 and 3, the history of the church, then this is said in Revelation 4:1. John says this, after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here, or come out of here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Most people do believe that this is a reference to the rapture. When God says, come up here, in the Greek, the word is anabino, which means to ascend. Literally, though, it means to board a ship or a vessel. What does that remind you of uh, right away when you hear that the word means to board a ship or a vessel? Do you remember another vessel that was prepared for the people who would live righteous? Is the ark in Noah's day? There was a door that was opened, a door to the ark that was opened, and God speaks forth, and he says, come up here, my people, Anabino, be ascend, come into the vessel, come safely into the ship, because the wrath is coming. The history of the church is closed. The wrath is about to begin. Now, before Genesis chapter 6 and the flood begins is Genesis chapter 5. And in Genesis chapter 5, we read the story of a man by the name of Enoch. And in the scripture, it says that Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, 
for God took him. The word is laka in Hebrew. It means to seize. It means to take forcibly, but it also means to take as a bride. Now, in the scriptures, this man Enoch is a type of the church who will be taken in the rapture. He was a man who walked with the Lord, who walked in the Spirit, who walked with the Spirit, who lived a righteous, holy, separated life, who really truly acted and lived as though he'd been chosen by God. And so before the wrath is going to come, before Noah and his family go into the ark, guess what God does? Before the wrath comes, he simply takes Enoch from the earth. He raptures Enoch. He takes him to be the bride. He takes him from this world. Now, this is amazing to me. Again, let's dig deep. Let's remove the topsoil. In the book of Jude, Jude references an apocryphal text called Enoch, the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch is not canonized scripture. It's an apocryphal book that many, many Jews still study to this day. And in 2 Enoch, chapters 68 and 69, it says this of Enoch. It says that Enoch was born on the 6th of Sivan. It's the date, gave his birth date. That date on the Hebrew calendar is what we celebrate today as the day of Pentecost. Now, what happened on the day of Pentecost? Do you remember? The people were gathered together on the day of Pentecost, the disciples, 120 in the upper room. They were confused. They were really frightened, afraid, because they'd seen Jesus taken into heaven. And the angel said, in the same manner he was taken, he'll return. And so they're there in the upper room, gathered together, waiting upon the Lord. And as they were waiting, suddenly there was a mighty wind that came from heaven. And the place where they stayed was shaken. And that wind, that breath, that spirit moved through that upper room. And the people, it says, were filled with the Spirit of God. They were reborn in that moment, and they began to preach God's word in different languages. When did that happen? It happened on the birth date of Enoch. Enoch, a picture of the rapture of the church. Now, it gets better. Because in that same text, 2 Enoch, chapter 68 and 69, the text also tells us, again, this isn't Bible text. This is apocryphal text, extra-biblical text. That extra-biblical text tells us that Enoch was not only born on the 6th of Sivan, on uh, Shavuot, on Pentecost. Guess what else happened on the 6th of Sivan in his life? That's the day he was taken into the presence of the Lord. Now, if Enoch is a type of the church, and Enoch, the church, was born on Pentecost, and Enoch was taken on Pentecost, there can be a good case that you can make that maybe, just maybe, the church might be raptured on Pentecost. Are you following me? Right? That God will take his people out before the wrath will come. Now, this is why this is important, because June 5th is the day of Pentecost. That's next Sunday, when the church... We, the church, will celebrate the birth of the Christian church when the Holy Spirit fell upon those people. Now, again, am I setting a date? Is Pastor Chris saying Jesus is coming next Sunday? He is not saying that. Those words never came from my mouth. What I am saying is that if Enoch is a type of the church and Enoch was raptured on Pentecost, maybe, just maybe, that's the day that God will take his bride, the church, as well. Take his bride to go to be married. Are you with me? Okay, does this make sense? Now, here's what I want you to see. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. 
if Enoch is a type of the rapture of the church, the snatching, the taking away of the bride, we're going to see its fulfillment in Matthew chapter 24. Look at what it says in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Listen, verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man, just like it was in the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, until he went in through the door, until he heard that trumpet's voice saying, come into the ark, come out of the wrath. Just like Enoch, as it was in the days of Noah, as Enoch was taken before the flood, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus comes back for his church, it's going to be just like at the days of Noah. Come and board the vessel. Listen to this. Listen to this. Verse 39. Just like it was in the days of Noah, they were unaware until the flood came, the judgment came, and they were swept away. All of them were swept away. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, paralambano in the Greek. The word means snatched or seized or taken as a bride. The same definition of laka in Hebrew, which is indicative of Enoch being taken, the same definition here. That one will be taken, the other will be left. The word left is aphiomai in the Greek. It means to be, to be abandoned. It means to be divorced. One person will be taken as a bride, the other will be abandoned in divorce. Look at, read on with me. Two, verse 41, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be paralambano, taken as a bride, one will be left, divorced. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord is coming. Be ready, be awake. You need to be sitting on the edge of your seats in these days in which we live because just like it was in the days of Noah, that's what it's going to be like before Jesus returns. These are his words. This is what he says. All that you see all throughout this story in Deuteronomy that you see in the story of Enoch that we're going to see even as we read through the book of Hosea, it's all rapture language. It's all marriage language. It's all wedding language that God wants to take his bride to be his bride once and for all. The question is not whether or not God is going to take his bride. The question is whether or not you're ready as his bride. Are you prepared? Rapture talk. Listen to what it says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We know this verse. For he himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, harpazo, snatched, seized, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. You know what that is describing? It's describing, just like I said, Jesus walking around, Hand on his chin. Ah, you're mine. You're mine. Just like that 4-H judge. Get, come here. You're mine. He takes his bride with the cry and the command, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You will ascend. You'll be caught up, harpazoed, selected, chosen to be his bride. I long for that day more than any day. I long to be in the presence of God. Now let's circle back around and let's look at this from the Old Testament perspective once more. Again, you can read this language of marriage, of a wedding, over and over again. Listen to Exodus chapter 19. Now therefore, 
If you will keep and obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession amongst all the people, for all of the earth is mine. In Hebrew, that treasured possession is amsagula. It means your most valued and prized possession. This is what a, a Hebrew young man would call his wife, his bride-to-be, his fiance. He would call her my amsagula. God says to the Israelites, I have chosen you to be my fiance, my bride-to-be, my most valued, prized possession. He goes on. Look at this, verse 6. And you, not only should you be a bride, you're also to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the, the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I chose you to be my bride, but I've also chosen you to be my priests. What's the role of a priest? What does a priest do? A priest is one who stands before the people and represents God to the people, and who brings the needs of the people before a holy and righteous God. That's the role of a priest. And so God says to the Israelites, you're to be my bride, and you're to be my priest. But what happens, what would happen if those people who are called to live differently, who are called to be salt, who are called to be light, those people that God exalted and gave them a prominent position, and when the, they spoke, the world trembled. What if that people stopped living like the bride? What if that people stopped living as though they are a testimony, as though they are a witness, as though they are a, an example to the world? What if they just started looking like the culture of the Canaanites and from the land in which they inhabited? What would happen at that point? What should God do? The answer is there. In Hosea chapter 13, it says, he incurred guilt through Baal and what? And died. The word means separation. I don't want you to think of the word death in this case as though the soul leaves the body. I want you to think of death, spiritual death, in the sense that it's that moment where your soul is separated from God. Where you feel far or distant from the Lord. That's what real separation is. It's not just the moment you stop breathing. It's when you stop experiencing the breath of God. Do you hear me? It's not that moment when your body stops breathing. It's that moment when the spirit, the breath, the wind of God is no longer evident in your soul. That's death. When they followed after the bales and they incurred guilt, then they died. There was no spirit in them. There was no breath of God in them. There was no more wind blowing through their hearts. What should God do when we, his bride, the church, stop acting like the bride and stop being a witness and a testimony to the unbelieving world? See, when Peter, the apostle Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, probably his favorite of all of the disciples, when he wrote his letter, do you realize that he quoted this same text from Exodus chapter 19 and he applied it to the church? He applied it to the bride of Christ? Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, you are a chosen generation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, there's the priest, a chosen generation, a, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are his amsagula. You are his most treasured, valued, prized possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. That that's what you're supposed to be in the midst of an unbelieving world, to give testimony, to testify of what God has done in your life. I'm so thankful to the Lord that God doesn't call us to be Bible scholars, 
that God doesn't call us to know our eschatology perfectly from beginning to end. Eschatology, that's just the study of the end times. You know what God has called you to be as a Christian? Not to be a Bible preacher or Bible teacher or expounder or scholar. He doesn't call you to be any of those things. He calls you just to bear witness to what he's done in your life. That's it. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. The burden can be lifted from your shoulders. God doesn't expect that from you. But what he does expect is he says, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're my special treasured possession. I've sent you into the world to tell the world of what I've done for you. Just like the man who had been healed, he was blind from birth, and he's healed in John chapter 9. And the religious leaders are asking him, tell us, tell us the truth. This man's a sinner because he healed you on the Sabbath. And the man says, listen, I don't really know who this man was. I can't tell you about this man's life. I can't tell you whether or not he's a sinner. All I can tell you is that I was blind, but now I see. Is that your heart? See, God's word calls to you today. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and he says that you should be a witness unto me into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That you should witness of what God has done in your life. What does it mean to witness? When a witness sits on the stand in a court of law, what is that witness's job to do? That witness is there to give testimony, to speak to that which they know to be true. To that which they've seen or heard or experienced themselves. They're to give witness, testimony to those things. That's what God has called you to do and God, who God has called you to be. But what if you stop living like the bride? What if you stop living like a priest? In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus tells us what happens to those people who stop shining their light and put their light under a lampstand. Those people who stop being the salt of the earth and there's no flavor to their salt anymore. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 2. It says, but I have this against you. He's speaking to the church of Ephesus. I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you. I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Do you know what happens to the bride who stops living like a bride to the priest who stops living like a priest their light is extinguished they die on the vine there's no spirit there's no breath that is left within their bosom my fear for many of the church today is that you've gotten so accustomed and comfortable in the world that you're no longer living like the bride and no longer living like the priest and you don't even realize it but slowly your candle is being extinguished. It doesn't have to be that way. Because the breath of God, the spirit of God can come back and reignite that flame like never before. Look back into what it says here. How bad did this get? How bad was this? How, how much did the children of Israel start looking like the Canaanites the people in which they lived, with which they lived. Let's get, look at this again. Verse 1, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel. He incurred guilt through Baal, and he died. He died. Now, they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver. All of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice, kiss 
the calves. This is how terribly wicked their hearts became. They began to worship the gods of Canaan just like the Canaanites. Human sacrifice. There were these metal images, these enormous metal images that were erected to the god Moloch of the Canaanites. And its head was the head of a bull you know, with steer horns and everything. And then his body was the body of a man. And he stood with outstretched arms. And in his belly, in his gut, there was an opening. And what the people of Canaan would do is they would bring their babies. They would walk up the arms. They would put the babies in the cavity there. And they would light the children on fire and watch their children burn as a sacrifice to Moloch. And they believed that when they sacrificed their firstborn in this way to the God of Moloch, that they were ensured to have many more children and much wealth. And the children of Israel started to worship God like that. Why? Because they played footsie with the culture and with the world. And they said, you know what? It's just a little compromise. You know what? It's just a little sin. It didn't start with sacrificing their babies. It started with little steps along the way until they finally ended up in a place they never imagined they would be because they allowed a little bit of compromise into their life. And you think, you know what? It's just a little alcohol. Or you know what? It's just a taste. Or you know what? It's just a text. Or it's just a message. Or that no one knows that I'm watching this program. And it's a little compromise along the way that leads you to a place you never thought you'd be. And you look just like the unbelieving culture. They had lost their influence because they looked just like the world. How could God set them up upon a hill? How could God continue to exalt them? How could God continue to give them an audience when what they were preaching was false? When the way they worshipped was just like the world. They lost their influence. But secondly, if you're taking notes, they also lost their intimacy. And just so you know, we're going to start going a little faster here, all right? It was by design that the beginning of the sermon took a little bit longer. I don't want you to be fretting here, all right? They lost intimacy with God. Did you notice there? It says that they they sacrifice human sacrifices, but they also kiss the calves. You can read in 1 Kings chapter 12 about how the nation was split into the nation of Israel. There was the south, which was Rehoboam, and he had Jerusalem, control of Jerusalem, and that was the center of worship for the Israelites. And in this, the north, Jeroboam was there, and what he was concerned with is that the people of the northern ten tribes, the northern kingdom, would continue to travel down, make the trip down to Jerusalem, down to where the temple was, and offer their sacrifices there. He didn't want to lose his influence with the people, so what does Jeroboam do in the northern kingdom? He erects two shrines, one in Bethel and one in Dan. And he says to the people, you know what, it's just too difficult to travel all that way to offer your sacrifices. Just come to the altars that I've built. And he put upon these altars the shrines, they were in the shape of calves, in the shape of bulls. And he says, just worship here. It's so much easier to come and to worship here. Why go worship all the way down in Jerusalem when you can just go just a few steps away? And so what was Jeroboam doing? He was creating a religion of convenience. He was creating a religion where people said, you know what, I feel like waking up a little bit later tomorrow morning. I just don't think I'm going to make it to church. You know what, it's so much more comfortable to sit here on my couch in my pajamas and watch what's going on. You know what, it's been kind of a long week. I think the Lord understands if I don't make it to the fellowship of the believers, that I don't make it together to worship God in the house of the Lord. I'm just going to stay right here where it is. Why? Because it's convenient for me. 
Because it's easy for me. It's exactly what the people were doing. They were taking their sacrifices to these altars in Bethel and Dan, and they were kissing the feet of these idols that Jeroboam had erected. And God says, I'm watching, and I see it. Why did he have these calves? Because that's the way the people of Canaan worshipped, and that appealed to Jeroboam. And so not only did he create a, a worship of convenience, religion of convenience, he also made their worship look just like the worship of the world. God help us if the church ever begins to look that way. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.